From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get out into watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them, checking those films off our lists, and talking about them, and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter, at LonJeremy. Check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me. If you like the show, subscribe to it, rate, review it, leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others in the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 83, and I am joined by Marvin Kay, who was the creator of the TV series Less Than Kind, and also appeared in a pretty big role in The Shape of Water. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Alright, so we're sitting down to watch Peeping Tom. I'm Jeremy, I have not seen it. I am Marvin, I have not seen it. So I also know absolutely nothing about this movie. Okay, all this is all I know. It was on some list of movies you should see that yeah. I came across on the internet. Norm Wilner had it on a list. Yes. Maybe it was his. I, maybe it was. And he brought it up as well. I, I posted No, it wasn't his because you told me about it and I was like, oh, it was, that, that's interesting that it was on two lists. But on, and all I know is that it nearly killed the director's career when it, was originally came, when it originally came out because of the Keaton Scandalous movie that, uh, that basically people want, rejected wholeheartedly. And then a few years later... It's become this cult hit where that people said it was way ahead of its time in terms of what it was dealing with. Yeah, so that, fascinating. This is all I know about it. So, and that's and that's now all I know about it because I, I I decided because you you mentioned it. I think Norm Wilner recommended it when I and I also know that it fits into like a horror genre ish because it came up in conversation about movies we should do for. I always try to do two or three movies that fit into like a Halloween type. Yeah. Atmosphere, so it was brought up that. So that's, that's the only things I know, and I kind of, and it's so rare. I'm sure you know that it's like that you can walk into a movie knowing nothing. Exactly. I was like I also I want to keep knowing nothing. The only thing I've seen about it is, uh, yeah, just uh, I, a couple of clips that I saw, and so I, I turned it off immediately, going, no, 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 I want, I want to experience it. So that, that I don't know anything about it, and that's the kind of the unique thing for me here is is experience a movie I really know nothing about. Okay, so we have very little to talk about before. <laughs> no. So we should just dive right into it. Okay. Okay. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. That was delightful. It was. It was really, it was, it was very interesting to watch. Yeah, so for the, I mean, I don't know how popular this movie is in terms of if people know what it's about. It's got a bit of like psycho to it, yeah. With a little, there's a couple of everything. But it's a, it's, it's got that pervy thing, which seems weird for 1960. But I don't know the period that well. Well, this is now just like we're starting to get into counterculture, yeah. Right? So Easy Rider. Well, this is ahead of Easy Rider. Wait, but this, yeah. But this is well, this is the so I'm, I'm thinking it doesn't yeah it doesn't really fall into the counterculture because that's more of America right. because right up into the counterculture movement. You've got the Hayes Production Code. Mm-hmm. So for sure, nothing like this would have been allowed in American films yes. at this point. You know, but this is Michael Powell, so this is he's British. So, you know, the Europeans are doing a lot more interesting stuff than we are at this point. Yeah. In time. 
Uh, I could see how how it would have been received as this scandalous production at the time, though. Well, because it's also, um, you know, kind of not uh, romanticizing, but, you know, the the hero, it's not like the cops follow, I mean, you're kind of following the cops following the case, but the protagonist is, is, the, is, the, is, is the, the bad killer. guy, the yeah. killer, the serial killer. Uh, I guess he's a serial killer. He's a uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if we're giving anything away, but he kills a few people. <laughs> oh, we can give everything away. Yeah. Uh, well, because uh, you don't get a sense of how long he's been doing this for, right? But you got a sense he's been doing it for a while. A while. Yeah. 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 Um, I just loved because it's a movie about perspective and point of view and voyeurism, uh, and but I loved how like Michael Powell takes that into the visuals. Even that there's that great scene at the very very end. Where, uh, what's the woman's name? His love interest? Helen. 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 Where she, you know, comes into his lair uh, without him there and turns on the the screen. And we just stay on her. We don't cut around to see what she's seeing. We just watch her reaction to it. And it's like, it's just beautiful because we know know what we've seen. We've seen, you know, but we're still only seeing it in bits and pieces. But I just love, you know, the strength of that point of view and just the confidence of that filmmaking to know that it's more terrifying to imagine what she's imagining than to show what she's seeing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not, it's not, yeah, we, we get a very, there's a very visceral sense of, of what's going on. The style of acting is interesting too, just for the period of, of, of what it is as well. It's like, it's a little bit more, and I don't know if you, if you got this because of the sound the, the soundtrack and the music that was put in, it felt like this weird, like black and white, uh, period of, of music, even though there was some jazzy stuff, but the way the music, the, especially the piano music worked with the film, it felt like this weird juxtaposition of like the Technicolor and the piano and, uh, and then everything he filmed was in black and white. There's a, there's a, there's some weird perspective. Yeah. The Technicolor is gorgeous. Yes. They're saying to you, like there's that opening shot of just an eye, but then it cuts to the uh, that street alley shot, and it reminded me of that uh, that famous photograph uh, of the diner. Yeah, uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called. The ex- me, it's me like either. Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, it reminded me of this. The colors, it's so gorgeous, so rich. Uh, but then it's juxtaposed because it is weird. It's coming in the '60s, so it's coming in this point point in time where it's almost like, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I think Powell, who is just like you know, at this point is at the height of his, you know, his powers in terms of his artistry. But it's almost like he's using this beautiful technicolor as a counterpoint, too, to the kind of story he's telling. Yeah. But I don't know if that's just it or if it's just that he's always just shooting in technicolor and it's not necessarily a choice at that point either. Um, well, I mean, that was, that was, that was the, the, the thing at the time was the tech, sick 1960s. So it would have been, everything was like those colors, super saturated colors and things. It just made everything so, um, so bold. Everything f- feels so rich and bold in, in its colors. And but, it's weird. We never saw, we don't see any blood in the whole no. movie. No, no one thing. Well, no, there's a little bit you get when, um, when he's watching the, the, uh, stand in. Or the, the double, uh, the, the investigation when he creeps back onto the sound stage and crawl, goes up to the rafters. Yeah. When you're looking down, you, there's a little splotch of red on her, on her wardrobe from where she would have been killed. But she, we never go close. We never see oh, a type. I didn't, I didn't even notice. But that. It's, it's further, further. It just looked like it. It looked okay. like we we're seeing a little bit of blood. But definitely at the end, when he, uh, when he kills himself, 
Mm. There's no, there's no, there's not even blood on the the knife tripod no. leg thing. And it's interesting. That, like if you had to remake that now, it would be very different. You would see a lot more of that. Or you, stuff. or you, you, it would go in two different directions. You'd, it would either become like, you know, the the really really gory movie, mm-hmm. or you'd go, you'd lean far into the artistry, right. further into the artistry, because there's a nice restraint to it. I love that you open with. Not knowing what that light reflection is on her, you know, you got to yeah. figure that out. You don't know what he's killing them with. You know, they just slowly reveal pieces of information as you're going along. And and I love how they parse that out. So I almost feel like if you were to do a remake of Peeping Tom, yeah, it'd be one or the other. You'd really lean into the, the voyeurism, which I think has been done, yes. probably. Especially now with uh, with social media and and. Every everyone's got a, a camera on them at all times. Yeah, what was the? There was one similar just to it. A, uh, the news reporter thing just a couple of years ago with Jalen Hall, uh, Jake Jalen Hall's movie. What was the? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Drive. No, no, not no, 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 Drive. No, drive. Uh, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, edit out the part where middle-aged guys have to try and remember. Things. We're scratching. <laughs> I know. We uh, Nightcrawler. 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 But, yeah. So I was thinking of that because there's that aspect of like, but. He wasn't that. Uh, it, it wasn't that uh, feverish. He he uh, he. The motivation for 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 the acts isn't the same, but there was that weird sort of voyeurism. Well, you almost get. And what's interesting about it is like you're you're meant to empathize with him, especially in that final moment where he's turning on all those recordings that his dad, dad put him made, through. Yeah. So it's almost like the real villain of the film is his, his father, father, who tortured him for all these years and and made him believe in the beauty of fear or whatever his thing was yeah well he just it was his it, that was his obsession was capturing moments of fear so it was weird like how he wouldn't he refused to look at the girl at the end because if he saw her afraid he knew he'd have to kill her and i wonder what that was about was it like he was turned on by fear or just he had to kill fear like what was that <sighs> it's a it was it is a, conf- a bit of a confused metaphor like it's hard to figure out what he he would he would make them afraid so he could capture them being afraid. But then he had to kill. Then them. Then he had to kill them. So he refused to look at her because he would have had to kill her if she was afraid. It's a very. I'm just looking at the actor Carl Boehm B O E H M Boehm who played Mark. Yeah. Did he do much after that? I don't know. I'm gonna look, but it just he was such a fascinating actor. I don't know if I recognize him. He's got. 71 credits, but I imagine they're all very nothing. We probably, I think he's, uh, it looks like he's a German actor. Well, I mean, he's got the blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't think he couldn't, you couldn't find a greater Aryan. Yeah. So I think there's not a lot of, uh, English language stuff that he did by the looks of it. So that's probably why we're not super familiar with him. Did he do much after? Cause I right after this, he did something, uh, he played Ludwig von Beethoven in a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next thing he did. Yeah. I, my guess is that they didn't uh, they hadn't the seen people's the, history as much uh, back they then. They probably already, it was already in the can. They hadn't shot it yet. Oh, man. Ugh. That's a fascinating juxtaposition. Yeah. It's weird, weird to think that they would never, I, I doubt they'd ever do anything like that where they'd have some guy who was playing a serial killer now and then just put him into a Disney movie after that for kids. Yeah. I just don't think that would happen. <laughs> but that said, 
He's a good look for Beethoven. Yeah. That's good casting. He like, he was a good actor. I mean, uh, the acting style then is a little overwrought, but for what he was doing at the time, it was it was interesting. And, you know, we, we were laughing sometimes at the choices, but just because they were so... Uh, they seemed almost satirical of... of, of of what, how it would be done now would be a little bit more uh, sedate, just his choices. But yeah, yeah, well, it's similar. If you look at like um, a couple people, I've had this conversation before about the idea that it's like if you remade Let, uh, Rosemary's Baby today, yeah, uh, it would work really well as a comedy. <laughs> you know, and 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 to to uh, this point is like the way that they Frank Oz it was Frank Oz, I think, remade Stepford for Wives. Uh, like 10 years ago yeah. or so and with Nicole Kidman and they really went dark comedy with it yeah. where it was uh, I think it's the same uh, the book was written by the same author as Rosemary's Baby I think mm. uh, but it came out of the same era of the 70s horror and I think this is a similar thing where we're watching it kind of laughing our asses off at certain moments part of that is to cut the tension of how creepy and uncomfortable, uncomfortable it is it was. Yeah. but he had this interesting like I wonder if you look at this performance now in terms of like modern style of acting and you're like, oh, it's very like labored and there's a very specific it's quality very to it. It's very on the note. It's very earnest in what it's trying to portray. Whereas now uh, I think the style would be to to hold back a bit on on, on, on hitting the point of what, where that character's trying or to Or you know. try to make him more human so yeah. you empathize with him. And it's similar to like I always... Uh, Whenever I, I looked up on, on Psycho, and people kind of raved about Anthony Perkins' performance at the time. Yeah. But now you watch it, and, and it's it's similar to this one. Yeah. Where it feels very measured and very calculated. But at the time, I think it was seen as this bravado performance. Uh, it's interesting to see how that, how that st- evolves with well, the just, style of shooting and everything. Because that's what happening now. It's like, you know, this is only, you know, not that long after James Dean has hit the scene, and Brando and all those guys, and they're revolutionizing just how acting can be on screen. And so this is really coming in that era where a lot of the films, you know, between the mid fifties and the seventies, you're starting to see this blend where some actors were sometimes just like, you're not sure everyone's in the same movie. Movie, Yeah. And this, and this, and remember that this was British. So that I don't know at that point, if that American style had had really seeped in where this felt a little bit more, Staged a little bit more projected. There was a, and there was there were elements of uh, of comedy like the the psychiatrist who was just had the, the crazy loony yeah. face and the strange laugh. Where it was like this feels like we're transitioning out of that that sort of broader uh, caricature sort yeah. of acting into, into something else. Because then you also had the the guy that ran the pervy newsstand. That was pretty no- natural. Yes. Like I, he, he, I, I, I was going to say, I think he was one of like the more subtle performers yeah. in that in that whole thing. That was such a bizarre, like we you noted mentioned it a couple of times we were watching it. It's like could newsstands just have nude photos New- pointing outside? I don't know. Like, can they have them now? They can't now. Or, like, any, uh, even you go any like when I I remember going into video stores when I was a kid and there was always that back room with a curtain. Yeah, that you'd see creepy guys going <laughs> into, uh, or or they'd have or the one in my small town had like. Brown paper bags over a certain movie titles. Yeah, to like lift them up to see what was underneath. See, oh, I don't, I don't even remember. But that. definitely, you could. I mean, I, I so again, Europe, right? Yeah, they're a bit more progressive over there. So, but even the thing that killed me about it because it wasn't even. It was like clearly this store is what this store is. They sell nude photos. They sell nudie stuff, and that's fine. 
But it's like there's a girl who chose, like a teenage girl. who it's a school girl. She's in the school year. She chooses to go to that store to buy her chocolate bar. Yeah. No, and she's just surrounded by the pictures. It's not like they're off in a back that, room. Th- that was so strange. And I, I, I'm, I, when I was watching, I was like, is this just strange to us? Or like at that time was like, oh, you could walk into any news stand and that's just what you saw. Well, I, well and I guess that's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, because that's very specific. That's there for a very specific reason, yeah. obviously. It's showing that it's like, oh, this. The hidden world. The, world the hidden world hidden underneath. underneath. But the world wasn't that hidden. Like. Unless you're trying to show that it's like, yeah, every newsstand you can buy these kind of like sl- slightly salacious photos, but then behind the counter, Hunter, there's, there's this really black, dark, there's dark, literally dark a stuff. black book, which, and then we never got to see what that was. Was that, and, and at that point in the movie, you don't know, they never really get back into that because it's like, uh, is that, you know, dead girls? Is that, what, is, what are those well, wasn't photos? Because they knew him. They, well, he didn't he, want those things shipped to his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, the guy was playing them, but, yeah. but Mark w- went up there and shot those girls and did all sorts of stuff. And they no, knew him. No, I mean, over I'm talking about the customer. Like, yeah, but yeah. the customer. Oh, right. Came. And then he called the cops when the girl was dead. Yeah, yeah. So they're not dead photos. You're right. They wouldn't be dead photos, but they must have been. Like, <sighs> Who knows? Because of the stuff that they were selling in the store, yeah. like, that's the stuff that was behind closed doors. Yeah. That's why I went, is it. Is there this b- underground black market of they're selling... Like, what sort of s- snuff films uh, are well, they selling I mean. there? Or was it, like, the kind of photographs where the guy at the store thought they were f- faux snuff, not realizing they were real snuff? Oh, that's... You're going, you're going a, a layer deeper than I was with it. I just assumed that you could see, like, a, naked, a woman's naked breast... Or body at that point in time, but they were already was, selling those, and they were selling those. But so that's why I was thinking, like, what is underneath? What is what is in the black book when he opens it? Because we never see him. All we see is him is a guy, you know, twiddling his fingers, going, "Oh, this, this." How this. much for the whole book? How much for the whole book? I must have it. I must have it. And and it's funny, you even do that little breathy uh, thing when you know I'm, when I'm making fun of it. But that's actually how they were acting in the whole thing. It yeah. was like it's very, ooh, isn't that? Interesting, I'll take the whole book. No, 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 don't deliver it to my house, no. No, no, I don't, yeah. no not the million. I'll, I'll, I'll stop back by. Yeah, don't worry about it. But that's it, what made me go, say, yeah, so what is it? Is it, like, more sexual? Or is it, I just thought because of the scene that preceded it where you, you see him, you know, doing his thing where he kills the girl, it made me go, oh, is this, is he selling these mm-hmm. images? No, I just, I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, what what is the, what is the dark stuff that we... That was they acceptable, yeah. But but it wasn't it wasn't murderous, but it was still creepy. Like I just I don't I. It, it's weird to think back. Like what was it that was creeping people out? But that's so what, much. But, and I think what makes this film successful, in my mind anyway, is because of the time time of filmmaking. They were being restrained in what they were showing and not showing. Yeah. Probably just because they had to be, but. You watch it through the gaze of today, and it's like that kind of stuff is far more powerful. Yeah. To not know what was in that book, you know, if you just show me, like maybe it was kitty porn, maybe it was like who knows what was in that book? We don't know, right? But it's just like it's it's better to not know and let my mind just run wild because even I went somewhere, yeah. other than where you went. Well, I just didn't think it was like murderous snuff because it was it would it then that would have lessened the power of what he was doing. Yeah. What Mark was doing. For I only went movie. there because we already knew he was doing that. Yeah. And because of what was on the wall, 
that it's like was already being sold and going, yeah. well, what's the darker version of that? Yeah, you can't like, what the is the weird kink that they were? It's it's almost it's almost strange to think that there's there was some sort of weird kink that was between just plain uh, nudity and stuff that that we that creeped people out that he didn't want to see that that he wanted to leave to the imagination. And it's what they were doing in the in the second floor apartment, yeah. right? But it was, but those girls were in their were, clothes. They were dressed in. In, in in lingerie yeah. that we would consider like a normal and the only hint of, of uh, strangeness that we saw was the girl with the messed up lip yeah that she'd been cutting in but they were like she's like don't photograph my face he's like yeah I wasn't gonna yeah so it's like it's not like he was you know photographing people with disfigurement yeah no it wasn't that either it was a very it was a very weird thing like what what is it in that room that's happening but the, and I, I was trying to figure out like what is he alluding to, and is is it just because we we're exposed to everything now, so there's nothing there that like what it would have been so shocking back then that he wouldn't have that he left it to our magic, which just makes puts a big question mark on my mind. That's kind of fun to think about, yeah, to wrap my mind around. But it was, but it definitely put the protagonist Mark in a thing where it's like okay, he's in this dark pervy world mm. that is in the black book that you can't even see the pictures of like that's his shit that's what he's into and that's i guess was was what the whole thing about that was is like this is the stuff like it's not just a woman's naked breasts on the wall whatever he's into is can is really really creepy too yeah yeah and i love how he's got this sense of shame about it all and i guess that's how you're supposed to empathize with him as your hero that it's like he doesn't want to hurt her. At one point, he makes a collective decision to not uh, hurt her, to not photograph her. at all, yeah. Where he wants to, at the beginning, the first time she comes up in, into his his apartment, he's re- getting ready to photograph her watching yeah. uh, his childhood movies. His, yeah, and he stops her. She stops him. She stops him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh my God, there's that amazing moment when after she tries to kiss him and he just stands there like a statue... And then she leaves, and he starts making out with his camera. Yeah, he's making out. It's a big. He's just like, but no, he's fondling it. He's fondling that camera. Like it was like that. That that camera was like a form of masturbation. Like he was touching it and holding it, and he was making love to that camera. Yeah, and it's almost like, and it's like you know, clearly he's choosing between the camera and her. Obviously, yeah. that's the metaphor there. Or well, he can't express himself to, to her a person. He can only express himself to. A film or the vessel of the film. Yeah, like he full on kisses the lens. Yeah. Smudging it, might I add. Yes. Got to clean that now. Yeah, yeah it's going to be bad. Uh, <laughs> but even that... And, okay, so let's talk about Helen as uh, a character. Uh, I Actually, at, towards the end, I, I was tr- still trying to figure out... Because she so immediately wants to save him. It was... Uh, yeah. It, that, it, that, that part kind of felt like just a, a a trope that he stuck in yeah that that's the one part where it's like i don't buy this as a woman uh but maybe at the time it's hard to say because it's also a product of 50 years ago almost 70 years ago yeah uh crazy this movie is almost 70 years old yeah it it, it is it, especially the subject matter and and what's happening in it not 70 you 60 it's almost six years old yeah you could still you could see it being remade it would look very different it would have a very different style a very different psychology right to it, yeah, it was just her it's like you would like, like she's not like from the get-go what's going on is creepy yeah and so wh- why she she goes to his apartment i c- i could never you have to i felt like oh i have to buy into her attraction to him because it's so forced i didn't 
find figure it out at first like why is she why is she going up there why does she care about this guy i think to remake it now the only way to make that work is that she feels bad for him and that's why she's going up there yeah and she's feeling like well they made her they made her a children's author too right yeah and he had all this childhood trauma so i i guess there was that sort of Thing that they were trying to build in. He's she, the wounded bird. He's the wounded bird. But it was so that was a blunt tool that it, it, in in the writing of it. I think uh, like oh you know she just of course she's she's a woman and it's 1960 or this came out in 60 so it's like sometime in late the late 50s, 50s yeah. and of course she's going to want to save this wounded bird because she's she's a woman uh, and and I think that 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 was the thing that felt very forced. Yeah, uh, in in that whole thing. Yeah, that's the only thing that bothered me. It was just, I mean, and, that, and unfortunately, it's a major thrust of the movie. Just yes, her, but buying her wanting to be around him and not being creeped out at him because there's all these turns where it's like, oh, I'm gonna go up and see him. I said, like, why? why, why the fuck why are, are you, you gonna go into that room again? The dark, the dark room where he fondles cameras. Why are like, you gonna do maybe it? Maybe to get your cake plate back. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. it. <laughs> that's, that's a one, and also just let that plate go. Yeah, it's a simple black plate. You can replace that yeah. thing. Well, the books about fear on the wall. I mean, it's there's, it is. There's nothing about that apartment that doesn't scream red flag. Yeah, it's it, everything was a red flag. This that, and it was a hard buy-in. But there's something about you know there's something about that style, the style of the way the movie is made that yeah. you kind of went, oh, you, you kind of have to put it aside. Going, all right, all right, she's there to help. She feels bad for the wounded bird. She's going to save the bird. Yeah, and, uh, it's, but it, it was like, why would anyone go in there? I think the way you you could remake it now uh, with her and make it work with her is that instead of making her a child's author, make her, make her a child psychologist. Yeah. And have her be fascinated by him uh, and what he went through and kind of reveal that stuff a little bit earlier uh, about his childhood trauma. And she's trying to figure out him. And, and the question becomes, can she fix him? Fix is the wrong word. But can she help him yeah. before he kills her? Yeah. Yes. And that's almost like the ticking that, that, clock. Yeah, that would be the ticking clock. I, I, I was trying to figure out the, the whole thing with the mother, bl- a blind mother who knows there's something wrong with him because she can, she hears him all the time making the films. It, that character was odd too. Um, she I mean, felt very tropey. Yeah. Uh, and, and I like that she was just casually an alcoholic. I was expecting that to come into play in yeah. a plot way. Did not. Um I don't. I'm not an expert on the on the period, but like what was sort of, you know, alcoholism that that level of alcoholism just sort of an accepted thing. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Kind no, of, t- at the time. And I didn't think about it until I just thought about it just now. Uh, I think the only thing that spared her was the fact that she couldn't look into the mirror. Well, yes, and she, well, yeah, because she could feel afraid, but she couldn't see what he was doing to make her afraid. She, so couldn't, she couldn't see the, her own her own death. Yeah. I think that was the thing for him. Yeah, because he that was he wanted to film them seeing their own death, and there was no way she could do it. Because I was trying to figure out why did he not kill her, other than the fact that Helen became very suspicious of her yeah, mother, her mother disappearing. Yeah, but at the same time, she she disappeared while they were gone, so he, his alibi could have been while well, I was with you. Yeah, yeah. But I think the only reason he spared her... Because he wasn't... Let's be honest. It's amazing that he probably had been doing this as long as he had. He wasn't unsloppy. He wasn't Dexter level of, like, careful. But he wasn't unsloppy, yeah. He left a body at his workplace 
on, on the scene of the crime. But uh, but he he did it on purpose because he had the camera ready. He was ready to oh, film the body being discovered by the actress. Uh, it's funny talking about the movie to, to people who may not have seen it. But you know when he he wanted to capture that fear when when he knew it was going to be opened. And he did. Like he was there, ready with the camera. Like, oh, here we go. Well, I joke to you, but there was this really funny bit that killed me, where uh, you just cut to this random uh, scene inside this studio executive's office. They never come back to where they talk about how it's like because of production costs. <laughs> now, if uh, if uh, the take looks good and you can hear it. It's okay. You yeah. have to move on. And then you cut to a director doing 50 takes of a girl falling. Yeah, which made no sense. But yeah. Uh, but then I joked about it at the time we were watching it. But then when he got his reaction scene of hers, one take. Yep. It's just he he set it up. He mm-hmm. he he motivated the actor properly. True. It's almost like it's almost like Michael Powell making an argument on filmmaking that it's like if you're doing your job as a director and setting the scene properly, you only need one, one take. take. <laughs> That's it's possible. I never, you know, I I didn't catch that, but that is that is an interesting thing. A lot of that stuff. I think it's safe to say though that that the women in this movie were fairly underwritten. Oh yeah, (laughs) and it's it's we joked. Well, I made the joke about it about diversity and stuff. There was one one black black actor who said, "Have a good night" to (laughs) to everybody else, and all and all the women dressed pretty and just just doing just screaming and doing things. Yeah, although I like that she, you know, she was very, you know, she looked like a regular human being, Helen. Oh, like, uh, yeah. You know, the actresses look like actresses, but I like that she looked like a regular human being. I find, I, I find in, in a lot of British movies, especially British television series, um, that the casting isn't so um, it, the model-esque. Like the, yeah. That you find people that are more interesting, that there's not uh, an imposed, oh, they have to be gorgeous uh, aesthetic thrown on it. Um, I, I just find that in general, even even in today, um, when, when we look at... Uh, what was the the movie the series that was that was just canceled in in Canada here uh, the, the police procedural uh, the, oh, the detail the detail yeah the detail which was based on a British series and if you look at the just the way the the, the actors looked on the two is like the the British one it was it seemed like they were real people whereas the Canadian one was which was trying to give it a more generic North American feel was so they were so modelly beautiful. And uh, yeah. it was just—it's just such a different. It, it just feels like a different. Is it a class thing that's happening, or is it just we're just trying to appeal to that magazine cover aesthetic? I think we're just so used to the American way, which is like there are people that look like leading men and women, and people that look like supporting characters. Yeah. And everywhere else, character in, actors. Yeah, character actors. Exactly. Everywhere else in the world, character actors can be supporting and lead characters, yes. but somehow in North America. And I hear this conversation from producers and sales agents and all that kind of stuff on my projects where they're like, when I suggest certain people, and like, well, they don't really look like, a, like a, no, yeah. a love interest. I'm like, what's that? Are you trying to say not everyone deserves love? Yeah. Is that what you're telling <laughs> me? If you're not beautiful, you don't deserve love. Yeah. And it's like, and it's really, and in, I mean, I see where they're coming from, but also it makes me gross. Yeah. And, I, I think it's just, a, it's just a, it's a shallow appeal to me. It's, it's. It never goes deep, never lets anybody uh, go deeper into what a person is. And, and I'm not saying beautiful, there aren't beautiful act- actors who are brilliant actors. It's just like this. And of course, no. I am biased being an actor uh, and a writer, but being an actor who, who is a- absolutely in the character sure. actor uh, domain, it is, it is so 
obvious when you see it. And I think it's when you compare the British versus American. Sorry, we're a little off topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. But and I think it. But I think it also really kind of like I think realistically, they're really just appealing to maybe ten percent of the audience who that matters to. Yeah. Deep down, and everyone else just wants something interesting. Yeah, I think. Well, I think once you commit, once you find a character that's interesting, the audience will commit to them. Whether they're whether they should be on the cover of GQ or Vanity Fair or not, they they will commit to they will as long as they can care about somebody, that that's what's important. But I I think I think it's it's a it's a fear on the side of uh, of, of studios and networks that uh, that they they need to appeal to that ten percent or else they're going to lose the audience. They need to to get that immediate hit of oh attractive person I'm going to follow them. Uh, instead of like, oh, interesting writing, interesting acting, interesting directing. Yeah. Now you'll follow them. And they, they don't, just want that. Yeah. You know, and they don't have the data that says, you know, people that look like regular human beings are okay. They go, no, attractive is good. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's just funny. They don't. No, but nobody's looking to win that argument. But in but in this, yeah, the lead was. She just. I mean, she 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 was cute. She uh, she is the kind of actress who you would normally see in sort of the second banana role. In a like the best friend of yeah. the lead, but she was the lead in this, and and that's and it. I I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing it. Something I, I I'm maybe it's my age too, but I'm at a point in my in my uh, viewing habits that I like to be surprised. Yeah, I like something to show me something that I haven't seen before. And when you see something like that, you're like, oh, that's a little different than than uh, what I'm used to seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's almost like the the uh, in terms of just like tone and whatnot so it was like the, the, the detectives were almost the more like grounded area of story too because all all of them were very heightened in terms of like everything was like him with his just his whispery like i call, i made a buffalo bill reference at one point oh yeah but there was a little bit of that to him uh yes there was um, definitely that to him um but it's like the the police officers were interesting too uh, they, because well, there was that there was that Baxter guy who was just making yuck yuck jokes on at the scene of the crime. Like, oh Baxter, come on! I know I don't want to ruin your fun here, but we got a job to do. It, they had it was it was that all the specific detective tropes. There's the the lead detective who uh, who had that chiseled jaw and uh, was suspected everyone. Then there was the guy who just wanted to get the job done, and then there's the jokey guy who's trying to make fun of everybody. Yeah, um, it, it, they were archetypes. And it was it, it's interesting to see how far back those things go. It almost it almost felt like if that if just those characters were in black and white in like a, a Sam Spade movie, they would be those cops. Like the, yeah. those cops would fit in more than in the uh, Technicolor super rich version of it. Yeah, I don't know because 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 they're so iconic. I guess those characters. Yeah, I think one of my favorite scenes was uh, leading up to the actress's death. Where she's just like prancing around. There's almost this. I mean, it made me think of Michael Powell's other film, The Red Shoes, where she's just kind of dancing around the soundstage, getting into character, getting ready to act for whatever film they've agreed they're gonna make, make together. Yeah. We don't. We don't get that backstory. Uh, and just it's so whimsical and great. And then she's even like, "I'm not scared right now. Make me scared." And you're like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." Technically, and, she's asking for it now. And and you know the jazz. It's very the period really leaks out in that like the dancing she's doing is such is so of the day and yeah and she's just standing there going I don't feel scared I don't feel scared 
what can you do to make me scared? And you could yeah, you just say like, all right, oh. yeah, I can I can help you out here. This is, <laughs> this is what we call a turning point. Turning point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that and even that whole thing. Oh, I've turned the red light on. I've turned the red light on. Don't worry. And no one will interrupt us. No one us. will interrupt us. I've we're we're making something is. But even he's talking about how it's like we have to get it perfect. We have to get it just right. He's very. I bet he would make a great director. <laughs> Aside from the fact that he likes to kill people and capture them on film. We're, we're, a lot of us are sociopaths yes. in just different ways. Control. Yeah, we kill in different ways. We just yeah. kill your spirit one take after another. Well, the the director of the movie that, that uh, was on the set that they were using yeah. f- made made the woman faint 50 times to, to try and get it right. And then that and I have to tell you, she, she did not faint well. No, even though the one that he's like, Dude, we got it. I'm like, yeah, really? Like, yeah, that's the one you that's want? That's not a faint. There was that, the other thing that killed me about him was they're watching the dailies and he's like, oh, the scenes needs comedy. And his idea of comedy is that she keeps on asking for different luggage. Yes. Like, that'd be hilarious <laughs> if she makes the... Do you have it in red? Do you have it in white? Yeah, Do you have it in blue? Yeah, she makes the employee get, like, take 20 seconds to grab a different piece of luggage and this bit goes on over two minutes. It's like, well, how is this your <laughs> version of comedy? What's so bad about your movie that this is going to fix it? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, when they can't use the luggage anymore, they switch to hats. And then the red hat fucks her up because of blood. Yeah. She can't do it. Okay. The red hat. And the level of on the noseness of the title of the film, the film, do you remember what it was? No. What was the that? walls are closing in or something like that. Is that what it, I can't remember. It's, oh. it's some version of like the walls well, are remember closing in. When they when they enter into the soundstage and he's gonna to shoot the actress that he's eventually gonna kill and the the uh, the door comes down, the garage stage door, wall the stage down, wall yeah. comes down. What, the the signs on the wall, the posters it's were, like safety first. Safety first like or uh, something about danger on the wall, just like warning you. Yeah, very, it's very blunt, but there's something so innocent about the way it's blunt that you're like, oh, okay, I take it. Let I it go. It. Don't worry about it. My favorite sign on the set was the positively no smoking. <laughs> Not just no smoking. smoking. They're like, guys, we talked about this a lot. And just the no smoking sign didn't do enough. So they added positively on top of it to really be super polite about it. But also, we're not kidding. <laughs> You can't smoke in here. Seriously, guys. And it's not even the that. film's flammable. Please. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, we don't care about people's health at this point in yeah. time. But it's not about that. It's that the film's flammable and smoke shows up on light. <laughs> yeah. Oh, on camera. there you go. That's right. <laughs> we can. We can have it. So yeah. uh, just uh, just positively. No, no smoking. smoking. It's very, very politeness to it. Everybody would. Uh, the other thing was that in that film set, and I don't know, everybody was dressed really well. Like even the folk, even a focus puller wore wore a tie and wore pants. a tie and suit and pants. Yeah, they, they all look like Paul Feig. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. They were all dressed impeccably. Yeah, three piece suits. Three all piece of them. suits. I've never been on a set, but except that. for the one person of color, I don't think he had a tie. Oh really? I don't think he did. Uh, did the, he was like a gaffer. Was or the something. black actor? No, he was dressed. Yeah. He had a sweater. He had a sweater with yeah, a collar. Yeah, but suit. no tie. But no tie. That was the pecking order. Oh my god, that was so funny when the. <laughs> That one moment, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like to remake it. So it's like that. Definitely, you'd want to play that angle if you were to remake it today of the uh, the psychologist, the thing, and just making yes. her character make more sense why she's there, as opposed to just being like, "I'm a plain girl still living with my mom. I sure need a man." Oh, here's one. Here's one I can save. Yeah, it's like yeah, but he's super. Like it's not just a broken wing. <laughs> yeah, no. Nowadays, you, she would have to have a real motivation, some sort of attachment to him. Yeah. That would make you understand why she would hang in there. But also just the technology aspect, because now I, I think what I really love about this 
Um, and you would ask me when we were watching is if I'd ever worked with film. And and like when I was in my first year of film school, we did shoot on on eight millimeter and that, but we sent it out through process. But we got to play with it on steam bags and that kind of stuff and, and touch it, and that was great. But in high school, I was in a photography like a thirty five millimeter photography class where we had a dark room, so we had to develop all our own stuff and and really play around with that and spend time in there. And so I loved that aspect of it. I loved that he couldn't, someone couldn't just. <laughs> Just fun, like even when that there's that great moment where he he's being questioned by the detectives and he offers the camera over to them yeah. and they go no no we don't need it you know there there's no like if you were to make that now it would be you know his smartphone Photo or, or it would something be, yeah or it would be a camera but it's the kind of thing that you could just rewind and be like oh shit I found this but what I love about this older world is that you'd have to develop that stuff you'd have to know how to spool up a projector to look at it properly. Like she just lucked out when she turned it on that 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 was real up to go. Yeah, well, there's also uh, there's that that there's that visceral thing of seeing the machines moving, the reels turning, and it uh, there's that it, it feels very almost uh, Frankenstein scientific, that steampunky sort of like something's yeah. creepy because there's these machines that are working, whereas nowadays it's just you press a button, yeah, and well, something f- comes onto the screen. Well, I even love like that opening sequence where it's we're seeing the his point of view with the crosshairs on yeah. it, uh, and then the opening credits are the exact that, same scene in black and white now. Yeah, without the crosshairs, but that's what he's seeing. Yeah, what he but we already saw it. Yeah, but now and from the exact same point of view. But I, I just there's something really interesting about that that really. Maybe you sit back and, and, and think about the aesthetic of the movie and just how you're perceiving all of that. I really, really enjoy it. And so that's the thing that I, I would worry about modernizing it too much um, with, uh, with new technology that I think would get lost. And I don't know how you do it. There's something really like I'd almost want to say if you're going to update this to make their, the, the, the Helen and Mark relationship more you know, realistic, you'd want to keep the period. Hmm. Because I, I I I worry about like the immediacy of technology, it loses that some of what makes us special with him, the tangibility of things and touching things. And well, and also everyone has a camera now. Because he doesn't need a dark room no. in, in the new version. He just needs a, a laptop. Yeah, you know. But 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 the other thing is that everybody can film. So like how a guy who walks around with a camera strapped to him all the time is not that's part of it's not an alien thing because now everybody has a cell phone and you can do all of that. So and, and a good thing, but the good thing about that is that he blends in easier. Yeah, and everyone's taping everything all the time anyway. Yeah. So what makes it different with him? I mean, now you could really what I mean what you'd want to do with this is you'd want to really kind of make a comment more on modern voyeurism, which is like everyone kind of is. It's, and cameras can be anywhere. But it's also hinted in the movie because his father had every room bugged, and bugged still for does. sound and, and still does. And he's listening to all of their thing, all of their moments. And he plays it back for her at the end that uh, his father was the was the planted the seed of voyeurism. Yeah. Uh, audio and video. And what was that? And then it ends on over darkness. Daddy. Recording. Ho- hold my hand or something it? like that it was wonderfully creepy wonderfully creepy and weird and uh yeah and that's the last thing you hear as it fades out i'm asking for his father's help, help. yeah Dad, oh! daddy hold my hand poor mark he was just misunderstood he was totally and he was abused and, and emotionally I, scarred and i will say you know when 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 uh the shit came down at the end he didn't kill her no he killed himself but 
It was also, it seemed... Really that, defending Mark right now. Yeah. Well, he's the hero yeah. of, our, of, our, of the movie. But he did say that I, there's one there's one point where he said he, he's always been building to this or something to that effect. But well, he said he's been planning this he's for months. He's been planning this for months. Like, he, he, he knew, how he, knew he wanted to kill himself. Well, he even said to the girl in the news shop that he knew he was being followed, he's like, yeah, he's like, I probably won't be around tomorrow. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and he says I'm almost finished making my movie. So it's like he always had the ending of the movie in place. Well, and he kept his, calling it a documentary. Documentary, I'm yeah. A documentary maker. So he always knew how it was going to end. Yeah, and he, his father documented fear, and so I, I was it. I'm I'm wondering was it was it that he became so. Um, uh, immune to fear, so deadened to fear that he couldn't face that he never that he he didn't see it anymore, and he needed to see it in himself, and so he was watching other people to feel alive. And then, and then at the end, he he does it to himself to, to to feel alive, to build up his courage to actually see fear again, yeah, to, or to feel something in because he's been so numbed out by his father. Well, yeah, because that is like one of the final things he says is like I'm I'm scared and I'm glad, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I think I think it's something like. His, his his father killed some or, or or ripped his ripped him away from his emotions because his father tortured him so much by trying to scare him all the time. And stuff. Well, and his thing is almost just, that he once, was dead. Yeah, once he sees fear in other people, he has to kill them. Yes, because he because when I'm, are you, well, they can't when they can't see their own fear, but then he doesn't kill the blind woman because she can't see, see her, her own, own fear. fear. Fascinating. Yeah, it's just it. Yeah. It's it's a movie that'll stick with me. I'll I'll be thinking about this movie for days, and yeah. it's the kind of thing that I'll I'll reference. Like, there's because something like, I knew it had a revival. Like, so it, when it came out at the time, it was it, I, I think I think it was pretty pretty much panned, and it almost ruined uh, Michael Pallon. Michael Palin's career. And then I can't remember what, how long of a period of time it took before it started to. Uh, get recycled and people were re- looking at it again and seeing it as like, oh, this is something really interesting, something that was innovative at the time. Like, I, don't, I can't think, think oh. like, I, I'd have to actually look at the movies of 1960, yeah, British and American, and go, like, was there anything like this? Was there, were there like these killer, uh, the, the serial killer movies at that time? Or was this like a completely unique uh, eruption in terms yeah, of I'm film stories? It's like, hey, this is the kind of movie that. I'm like, it's just screaming for a Criterion. Uh, and I wonder if... Is it Criterion? Is it on Criterion or no? Oh, yeah. It totally is. Of course it is. I'm like, this is totally a Criterion movie. Uh, it 100% is. And it is going to go on my list. Probably. Because uh, I'd love to dig into... I wonder what kind of special features they have on it. Yeah, it's totally a Criterion. Yeah. It feels it like it. It's got a... Because it's so... It, it just sort of sticks out. Like, I... I'm trying to think, like, what other movies came out in 1960? It comes with a, uh, a documentary called A Very British Psycho about the life of screenwriter Leo Marx as well as the making and critical reception of Peeping Tom. That would be fascinating to watch. When did Psycho come out? Psycho would have came out in the... Oh, God. That's a good question. It would have, it would have been just behind this or just... But, well, it would have been... It was... It's black and white, but I mean, Hitchcock decided to make it black and white. Yeah, people weren't making black and white movies as much then. Psycho came out the same year, 1960. They both came out in 1960. Interesting. That's really fascinating, actually. So there was this real, this something was in the Zet guy, something that really wanted to make people look into into the psychology of killers, into the and making them 
making making the the, the ultimate anti-hero. Yeah, and it's almost story. like uh, so it's almost as if um, Psycho. It's like it's, it's it's almost like now when you have two natural disaster movies around the same topic come out, and one just doesn't, one gets forgotten, and the other one moves on and becomes yeah. like the big thing. Where it's like so it's like these two movies come out at the same time, and Psycho comes on goes on to be the the much loved classic movie. And this one kind of gets left behind, uh, and, and I'm, I don't know why. It's it's no less fascinating. I think I yeah. I think the 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 underlying sort of pervy that might have been a little too much for the times because even though and, and and it's the movie starts with him uh, looking you know going up from a hooker checking her out checking out her ass and then and kind of going up and down and. It, it is kind of like it, dirt, it feels dirtier. Oh, than Psycho for sure. Than Psycho, it feels it. There is like this underlying like, oh, this is kind of this well, is a, this is a little. This is I gotta wash my hands. And that's this. this. This is the daddy issue movie. Yeah. And Psycho's the mummy issue, issue movie. movie. Yeah. So so they, they they're really weird brothers. Yes. In a in a weird way. Yeah, both British directors. Both so. British directors. It's interesting. It's interesting that they are at the same time. I love that. That's something in the zeitgeist of people being yeah. like. Uh, kind of, uh, it's probably the start of voyeurism. People like, as a conversation, probably that like, that was, and even I mean, some of it didn't make it into it, but I know when Gus Van Sant did the remake of Psycho, like there was the scene of of him like the peephole, right? Him yeah. looking through at Janet Lee, and in the in the script they shot it, but they didn't put it in the movie of him masturbating, watching her. Oh, uh, there's a scene that was shot, but they cut it out of original Psycho. But when Gus Van Sant did his shot for shot remake? That's the one thing he added. So that's the one that you didn't need to add. Like right. that's really not the. Uh, Where, whereas this movie, it was almost there. Like with the camera and stuff, it felt very. But also, he was very asexual. Yeah. You know, even though he photographed these naked women, he, you never got the, a sense of like there's no sexuality about it. But when he was alone with the camera and she kissed him and he was kind of dead. Yeah. And then he touches his camera. That was. That felt sexual to me. Yeah, and the only time you get... Like, he got giddy with her, but I think it was just under this idea that she might be able to make him stop or do something different or see a different way. Because even when he talks to the psychologist that comes to set... Which was a weird moment, yeah. And asks and tries to get a sense of, like, he knew his father and is asking him, is there a cure for voyeurism? And he's like, oh, yeah, it just takes a couple years. Yeah. (laughs) He just takes a couple years... Three, three times a week, an hour a session. And you're done. <laughs> Here's my card. And then you're done. It's a couple of years. And that's when he realizes, like, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Uh, I'm going to be dead by then. But it's, it's interesting because that's almost like the moment in the movie where he makes that turning point and realizes that he's just got to start the end game. Yeah. Because he can't. He doesn't. He's, he recognizes in himself his inability to, to turn himself to around. To save himself. To turn. Yeah. Because he wants it to happen fast. He wants yeah. to be able to save himself so he can maybe be with Helen and then you can't. It's yeah. There's something really lovely about that. that. That I just want to point out that was like a weird moment in in the movie where they he's alone with the doctor. They get on a a, a rig, they a go, lift, yeah, a lift. They go up. They talk about his father. They talk about his disease. They talk about the cure. 
And then when he realizes it's uh, would take two years or uh, and three sessions a week, he's like, okay. And then they just go down. There's no the blocking of it is like there's no real motivation. I kind of loved it. I'm just gonna go up and we're just gonna go down. Oh, but what I saw in that, I I like it created this tension for me. Going, is he gonna throw him off? That I, thing? Well, that's what I thought was gonna happen, and that's what I liked about it. I liked, and then it was almost like, but it's like the, literally the build up and the release. And it's I bet you if you went back and you tracked that scene. You'd see the moment he realizes he can't get help, they start going down again. Yeah, I bet I I I I would assume that that's when when it happens. Yeah, there's something really lovely about that that I really liked about it, and just the giddiness of that doctor was so f- so fun. so strange. It was a very weird, almost um, vaudevillian sort of style of like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the psychiatrist, or that he's he's this goofy, goofy, fascinating uh, uh, academic. So, you, so you're, strange. You, you remake this today. Who do you cast in it? Oh, I said God. when we were watching it, it looked like Michael Shannon. He had a, the guy, yeah, a bit of a vibe to it. Yeah, maybe. I think you might want something because Michael Shannon to me, he, well, maybe it's just the movies. He's, he's always comes across as dark immediately. Yeah, I think you might want somebody with just a, a tinge more innocence in, in his eyes. But although I've seen Shannon play comedy, Michael actually, Sarah could do it. Michael Sarah would be interesting if you want someone younger. Oof. Yeah, like if he could carry that, if he could carry the dark. Oh, he could carry the dark. Yeah, yeah. It's some of the stuff he's seen, and this is the kind of thing I think he'd be into because he likes to make. He, I think he's trying to get away from, you know, the, what he did in his youth. Yeah, and so something like this would be definitely be up his alley. But yeah, you. Uh, I think there's. Oof. Casting is always interesting for me. Like you, you'd have to, I'd have to flip through photos and moments and, and really make a list and go, what is it? What is it about? Like, what is the quality you're trying to? You to want capture? someone that's got like a natural innocence to them that can allow for the darkness. Yeah. So you can get flitter, you know, glimmers of it. Well, especially if she has to feel like she saves him. You have to, you have to have someone that when you look at them, you're like, oh my god, I want to help you. Yeah, um, and you as need, opposed to being, I don't want to be in your apartment anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I uh, no, I don't want to drink your milk. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. as much cake as you want. I'm going to leave now. Um, I will say, in her defense, she does not take the milk the second time. She's like, no, I'm good. No, good. <laughs> and she she did bring up a, a big hunk of cake. Yeah, that was a, that was a decent serving of cake. That was a big serving of cake that she brought up to him from the party. But it's t- what's amazing to me is. Everyone else who's in that uh, room share building knows he's a creep and doesn't want anything to do with him. Yeah, but for some reason she's she's there. She she fights for the for the for the for the underdog. Yeah, it's fascinating because even in that the first time she comes up, you get the sense of like, is he gonna, is he going to kill her now? Yeah, there's people downstairs that know she went up there. Well, he immediately invites her into the lair. Well, she invites herself. She was like, oh, I want to see your films. He's like, and oh, he's almost yeah. ready to show her the the. The kill tape that he yeah. was just watching. Yeah. And he wanted to see her reaction to it. But then there's something that stops him from doing yeah. it. And then he, uh, yeah. And then he shows her. Instead, he shows her his history, which I guess is supposed to be like, oh, she's now. And now she's committed to saving this kid. Yeah. Because he's been tortured. That's true. Yeah. I guess that is the, that is the one saving grace that you can kind of get away with her is that. It's creepy what's going on, but she also sees that there's something that happened to him when he was younger that's not his fault. Yeah, he's damaged. He's and I guess, I guess that's what it's supposed to mean. But it's it's so creepy. It's hard to believe a woman would stay. Anyone would stay in an apartment with somebody who you knew was that damaged in a dark room. 
If I've learned one thing about love in my life, Marvin, it's that you need pe- to save damaged people. <laughs> yeah. Always works. Yeah. It always works. Ah, uh, yeah. True love. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? Um, uh, anybody who hasn't seen it, it's, it's, a, it's really worth taking a look at. It's, it's a very interesting movie. Especially when you consider the time it came out. Yeah, and it moves. Like, there's no dead space. It really, really... Ha- I mean, Michael Powell is a, is a fantastic director, and so he know- he's in command of this story. He knows what he's doing at every moment. He makes very strong, bold choices. Uh, it was, I loved it. It's, uh, I see that the Criterion's out of print, so hopefully they put it on Blu-ray at some point. It's definitely something that I'd love to uh, kind of dive further into. Yeah. Right, thanks for coming over. I, I loved it. Thank you. Let's all go to the thanks for joining us for Peeping Tom. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the ThatShelf.com podcast network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on ThatShelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that lets others know that you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. Until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves